Hey guys, it is September 3rd, 2012, and it's time for another episode of The Recording Lounge. Now, this show is uh, a little bit specific. It's got one topic in mind, but there's a lot of great info on it. First, a couple of updates um, on what's going on lately. So I've got uh, part two of the Brian Deck interview that'll be up later this month. Um, I've been pretty busy and having to edit lots of different things and you know just make sure that you can hear everything that we say. I know that on the phone conversations, it's not necessarily as easy to uh, hear everything clearly and whatnot. So uh, lots of EQing and <laughs> edits. Um, but anyway... Uh, that's coming up. Um, I've got some other interviews that I've already actually done that are going to be edited in the future for shows in October. And uh, let's see here. Uh, the book, my book, Three Dimensional Mixing, is pretty much officially done. I'm go- giving it another read through, and we've started the cover design for it. And um, it's coming out a little bit later than expected, but it should be up online, hopefully on Amazon, and um, hopefully as a PDF download, which will be cheaper. Uh, The price will be somewhere around $30 US, and it's got 261, 23, something like that, 260-something pages um, with lots of great info. And uh, today's show, we're actually talking about something that I, I talk a lot about in the book, and uh, it's something that's really near and dear to me, and that is reference mixes and why they're important, why they can help you, and why they can hurt you. So this is partly taken from the book and some of the points that I make in the book. So if you like the show today, make sure to pick up the book this month. Um, should be this month at least, I hope. I'm 99% sure. So anyway, today's show is about reference mixes. So what are reference mixes? I have two definitions of reference mixes. One are mixes that you love, no matter the genre, that you think are the mixes that you aspire to make. Things, you know, when you listen to a song and you say, man, I wish I could make a mix like that. I wish that I could mix a song like this guy did. Those are mixes that can span from your favorite bands to some of bands that you don't necessarily even like, but you really love the mix. Um, There are some amazing mixes out there done by tons of great engineers and uh, so I advise you to have like a reference playlist in iTunes. Um, I keep mine on my phone. I also have it on a flash drive that I carry around with me on my keys. And basically it's uh, just a folder that has like 30 or 40 of my favorite mixes that span from country to jazz to metal to, you know, from old mixes to new mixes, things that I just really appreciate. Now, The second definition of a reference mix is something that the band brings you as a reference when they tell you, you know, this is kind of the sound I'm going for. And there are a couple things that they mean by that. One, that probably means we like the band. We like the way this band sounds. We like the makeup of this band. We like the orientation. You know, they have two guitars, bass drums. We have two guitars, bass drums. Or, you know, they have a horn section and a guitar player and a vocalist and a pianist, and so do we. Things like that. That's one part. It also tells you that they like the mix. Now, they might not necessarily know that. They might not explicitly say, we really like the mix on this song. However, a mix is something that is sort of like, uh, I love what Mixer Man said uh, on, on multiple forums and in his books. Um, he's basically saying something along the lines of, if you notice the mix, it's not a good mix. Meaning, if you're sitting there, if the average listener is sitting there saying, man, that vocal's really loud, 
then, you know, that's the point. Like, that's that's not necessarily the best way to do it. I mean, if you as the mixer notice the mix, that's one thing because, um, you know, you're mixing it and you're going to pick out things to the nth degree. I mean, you're going to scrutinize it and analyze it and overanalyze it all above. But if the band notices the mix, if the listener notices the mix, if the listener says, man, this mix is really bassy, they, they don't even really know what that means. Like, you know, my friends that aren't musicians or whatever, they don't know what compression is. They don't know what EQ really does. I mean, they might understand basic things like, man, that bass is really loud or, man, this song sounds so big, almost too big. You know, if you hear statements like that, it's not a good thing um, because that means that it's drastic enough, you know, where the average person is picking up on it. So anyway, um, reference mixes from the band, which I always suggest to anybody um, ask the band for a reference. Even if it's just one song, I like to have a couple. I like to have, you know, hey, bring some of your CDs and, and let's listen to them before we even start recording, before we even start mixing, before, you know, whatever. And just let's hear what is going through your mind and what's, let's hear what things that you guys like. Now, in the recording stage, this can be really interesting because, you know, if uh, sometimes bands go a little overboard and each band member will bring things that they like, and sometimes they're extremely different. I had a band one time uh, that the drummer brought in a bunch of, like, U2 stuff, so really, like, simple sort of anthem-type songs um, that we all like, you know, or at least a lot of us like, Um, and the drumming is very simple, which is funny to me, you know, that the drummer brought that in, but... The lead singer brought in stuff from, like, I don't even know, like, Thrice or something, like a heavier, you know, band, and uh, the guitar player brought in something from, you know, <laughs> like uh, Coldplay or whatever, and so there's this really odd combination of sounds, but you really have to listen to them and see, what is it that you like about this? Is it the the tone of the drums, or is it the playing, or is it the tone of the vocals, or is it just the way he sings it or the lyrics or, I mean, what is it that you're specifically liking about these references? Um, So, when they bring in the reference mixes, however many that may be, it's so important to listen to them and and try to figure out all of the elements that they're going for. The tonal elements, the mix elements, the balance elements. You know, some bands, uh, I've got one band I'm working with right now, where the lead singer and actually most of the band really likes a particularly loud vocal, um, like significantly louder um, than, you know, I might mix it in this genre. Now, it's not, you know, we're talking about a couple dB of difference, but to me, again, that's a big difference, but um, to them, they want a vocal that's loud, and they want a vocal that's like really up front, and the band is a little bit farther behind, and you know, that's just part of their sound. They like that sound, and that's important because... After all, this mix isn't for me. I'm not making this mix for me so I can be like, hey guys, look how awesome I am at mixing. That's not the point. You're making a mix for them. You're working for them. And however they want to portray themselves is is extremely important because a lot of times we get caught up in saying, you know, oh, well, the mixer has this much you know, uh, power over the arrangement. He can choose what, sh- what things to make louder, what things to make quieter, and who to showcase and who to push back a little. And while that's all true, um, lots of those decisions are sort of based on what's appropriate for the genre, what's appropriate for the band, how you hear it, and also what they want. 
And um, sometimes bands don't give you a lot of reference to what they want. Sometimes they're just like, well, we want to sound uh, completely different. Well, <laughs> then be prepared because you might get something that they don't like. Um, but if they have clear ideas and say things like, well, we really like the sound of a band like, you know, Rolling Stones, or we really like the sound of Led Zeppelin, or we really like the sound of, I mean, anything, Peter Gabriel, we really like the sound of Nirvana. It, it doesn't matter what they say, but you need to pick apart what it is they mean and why they like those sounds. So let's talk for a little bit about a couple ways that reference mixes can help you. The first and most important thing for me in reference mixes is that reference mixes help train your ear. And I'm specifically talking about reference mixes on your system. I'm not talking about listening to your favorite songs in the car. That's important. It's important to study those things and say, okay, this is my favorite mix ever done by anybody. What do I like about it? That's important, and it's important to study that anywhere. But if you're sitting down to mix in your space, it's so important for you to listen and understand what it is that that mix sounds like on your system, on the system that you will be mixing on primarily. And what you might find is that even though things might sound huge or things might sound small or things might sound wide, on your system they might not sound as you might remember. So it's so important to learn what reference mixes sound like on your setup because if you go into a mix that you're working on and you make it sound awesome and then, you know, you play it in the car or something and you say, man, that doesn't even compare to, like, the stuff that I listen to, what's up? A lot of people think it has things to do with, like, you know, some of all parts. You know, oh, I, I suck at compression. Oh, I suck at master bus processing. Well, I don't really have a mastering engineer because the budget's low or, you know, this band's not that great. And you start beating yourself up in lots of different areas. But one of the things that I really feel like a lot of project studio people don't really get a good handle on is EQ and, and placing things in a mix in a big three-dimensional picture. You get too caught up in what I call kick drum land and say, oh, I'm sitting here with the kick drum for 30 minutes and making it sound huge. And that's completely the wrong headspace to be in. I know it's easy. I know it's intuitive. And I know for whatever reason we're sitting there saying, the snare drum has to sound awesome, so I'll work with the snare drum until it sounds awesome. That, that makes sense to our brains. But in the context of a mix, that doesn't really work. So if you listen to some of your favorite mixes on your system, what I advise you doing is pulling up your favorite mixes or a mix that translates well to the band or the, even the song that you're mixing, a similar key, similar tempo, a similar style, a similar band even like really similar sounding band um, let's say you've narrowed all those things down and said you know this mix that i'm working on right now sounds really close to you know something like um the beatles or something like you know guns and roses or whatever and you're sitting there and you're comparing you're saying okay i would love if my mix could sound like this so what i advise you do is you pull up that in itunes or whatever pull up the mix and uh, then, then open up your mix, and some people prefer to actually put the mix in their DAW. That's fine, too. Um, the big key here 
and this is the rule, the one rule that I have about reference mixes and reference monitors and references in general. Um, you have to level match the songs. You have got to level match the songs. The songs that you're using as references are 99% of the time going to be mastered. The only time when they're probably not mastered is if they're like a rough mix of a song, you know, and you're actually referencing the demo that the band had or something like that, you know, where they said, hey, we did this in our house and we kind of like the sound of it. Can you do it but better? That happens. So those that's not going to be mastered. So level match the songs as best as you can. That usually means turning down the reference material much lower than you'd expect. We're not necessarily talking about level matching them to peaks because, you know, what's coming out of your DAW is, again, not mastered. And so you really are more trying to balance them between their average levels or their RMS levels. So the way I do this is when I mix, I try not to peak anything on my master above negative six. That gives the mastering engineer plenty of room to work. Um, sometimes on a rock mix, like a really heavy rock mix, it'll be peaking at negative three or something like that, but that's peak. Um, the average level might be somewhere around negative six, negative 12, something like that, which means that um, the average level on a lot of uh, mastered songs is fairly high, something between, you know, hopefully not zero, but you know, zero and negative eight. Somewhere in there is like the average level of the song. And um, you can level match them by ear as best as you can, but really do try to take into consideration the the level differences between your song and theirs. And really, I, I, it's so difficult. Um, what I would suggest doing, this is what I like to do. Um on my interface, I have like a mixer or, a, you know, where, where you can pull it up on your computer, not in the DAW, and actually, you know, look at the inputs and outputs and things like that. The way I do this is set that to a defined level. Um, in my case, I set that output. I turn the output of iTunes or whatever to max, and I set the output to negative 35, which means the mix is essentially playing back at a peak level of negative 35. Now, in my DAW, I try to make my levels somewhere around negative 30 because, again, mine isn't mastered. And so I leave 5, 7, somewhere in there, dB of difference between the two um, to, to try to compensate for the difference in levels. Now, what you'll find is if you're initially setting these by ear, you'll notice that potentially your mix is a lot um, – or I should say their mix is a lot brighter or you know less huge than your mix. And you know that's because that mix is very likely well handled in the mid-range. And so when you turn it up, it sounds full. When you turn it down, it might sound thin, but you can still pick out everything. Um, so I, I, I can't stress it enough. Be extremely careful when setting the levels. Don't just say, well, this one sounds good 
at this level, and then my mix kind of sounds similar at this level. Really be cautious and careful when setting the levels. And um, in addition, I advise mixing and listening to your references both at low levels. Um, You can really pick out the details much better. So, once you've level matched them, what you can then do is compare the sound of each element individually and say, okay, what are they doing with the drums? What are they doing with the vocal? How does the vocal sit with the rest of the mix? And then listen to yours and compare them and and, and sit there and, and really start to say, you know, um, man, I, I guess my drums are too too big. You know, I made the drums sound really big and now they sound too big because on this mix, the drums actually sound kind of small or, you know, but that mix sounds amazing. I know it sounds amazing. So, man, maybe I need to make my drums a little smaller. Maybe they're taking up too much space. Or, likewise, man, my vocal's kind of dark. Maybe maybe my vocal needs a little more edge or brightness to it or something. Um, and we're really just talking about EQ differences here at first. Then you can get into things like, man, that snare drum on this mix is actually kind of compressed or vice versa. Man, that snare drum on this mix is not really that compressed. It's extremely dynamic. And then you can compare it to yours and say... Maybe I'm using too much compression, or maybe I'm using not enough compression. It's extremely helpful to do this. I mean, this is like any other field of art where, you know, you're painting something and you're looking at a painting and you're saying, you know, man, that, that's really impressive. Why is it impressive? Because it, it seems to hold up with that of your peers, or it seems to fit in a space that you, are, you know, have been missing with your paintings or whatever. The same applies to music. As a guitar player, you're sitting there and you're listening to your amp and then, you know, when you sit there that one day when you get that great guitar combination with the amp combination and you just turn up the amp and you're saying, that's it, that's the sound. I mean, essentially what you're doing is instantly comparing your sound in your head to the sound of guitarists and guitar rigs that you've always admired. And so... To ignore that in the mix stage is, you know, I think a bad decision. I think we really have to help our ears understand what am I competing against? What what am I really trying to compete against? Because really, that's what we're doing when we're mixing. When we're mixing for a band, we're sitting there saying, can I make this stand up with the big boys? Can I actually make this song fit in, you know, the grand scheme of mixes that are out there? Can I actually make it work? Can I actually convince people that, you know, this band sounds professional? And the truth is, if you consistently you check yourself to make sure you're not losing context, then you will, I mean, your mixes will so, so, so greatly benefit. And um, again, level matching is the key here. It is the absolute key um, because... The point of reference mixes is to make sure that they are almost identical in level to what you're mixing. So, again, let me tell you a little backstory. Um, Long time ago, when I first started mixing, I had a big problem with um, the low end in my mixes. And it wasn't even because the room was untreated or I had crappy monitors or things like that, um, because my room was treated. And so that was at least taken care of, and it was treated extremely well. And so I said, okay, I know that's important. I'll treat the room very extensively. And that sounded good. And then I had some monitors that I liked. You know, I've since gotten better monitors, but I really think, now looking back, that it was my ears 
And, you know, here's why I think that was the case. When I was listening to the speakers, when I was listening to the monitors, I was trying to make myself excited and give myself the impression that the band was playing in front of me. Now, a lot of times that's what we do. But the issue with that is, in real life, there's a lot more low end that we can ex- we can seem to handle at a live concert or something. I mean, you've all been to live concerts. The low end, you know, the kick drum and the bass guitar is huge. I mean, and it, it rattles your chest cavity, you know, and, and that's awesome and we feel it and it feels good. It's almost impossible to really recreate that physical response in the recording world, in the mixing stage, without getting an extremely muddy mix. Because you can add low-end stuff, you can add low-end kick drums, and add tons of low-end to the bass, and make a big, huge vocal, and it, and it like rattles you, and you turn your mix up, and you're like, yeah, man, this is awesome. But the issue with that is, that, that doesn't work. It's not the same thing. It's not the same experience. Mixing on speakers is a lot different than listening to music through speakers. Um, they're two very different experiences. So what I found was that I I added an unnecessary amount of low end to a lot of things to compensate to try to make things feel big, to try to make the mix feel big to me. And that's the best description I can really give. It was like I was trying to make my speakers sound like, you know, the band was literally in front of me. Not necessarily at the same volume, obviously. But I was trying to make them sound like the band was in front of me at a live situation. However, as I got better mixing, as I got better at listening, as I understood references more, as I understood my monitors more, as I understood my ears and my mixing skills and all of those things more over the years, I found that, man, if I actually just mix this right and how it should be mixed, how, you know, what I really should be listening for... When I turn the mix up loud, it does sound like I'm standing there with the band, even more so. It sounds like, oh my gosh, the band is right here with me. But I didn't even add all that low end. Why does it sound that way? You know, and and the truth is that um, the heart of music, the heart and soul of music is in the mid-range. And the heart and soul of music is, um, you know, not about making everything sound big. Um, you want separation. You want clarity. You want things to sound good. Um, you know, and, and a part of this here. Let me let me even take this one step further. Um, there's something called the Fletcher Munson curve, and you probably have heard of it. If you haven't, go Google it and, and look it up for a little bit. Basically, the idea is that as you turn something up, um, and as things get louder to our ears, we hear seemingly more treble and more bass. And uh, the mid-range doesn't change as wildly. And uh, apparently, um, around 83, 84 decibels SPL, so metered with an SPL meter, I'm sure you've seen people using them. They're very cheap. I advise you getting one. They're like 50 bucks. Um, If you listen to something around 83, 84 decibels SPL, apparently that is sort of the median range of the Fletcher, Fletcher Munson curve where the bass and the treble and the mids all are pretty balanced. And as you turn something down lower, our ears actually seem to hear less treble and bass. And so even even if that's not what's actually happening, our ears actually bias ourselves, they bias our brain and into hearing less of those. 
Um, and I really think it's because our ears are very sensitive to mid-range frequencies. And so when you change that, when you turn up the volume louder and you turn the volume quieter, I mean, the way we're hearing things is actually not flat. It's not that, you know, you turn a mix really quiet and you say, man, now I can hear everything. That's not actually what's happening. Um, when you turn a mix up loud, the same thing. You say, man, it sounds so huge and full. Part of that might just be because it's loud, but another part is because our ears physically change as things get louder. Um, again, Google Fletcher Munson curve, look it up, do your research. It's very interesting. So, with all that said, um, my problem that I had learning to mix was that I would try to make things sound big, even at a low or moderate level. And the issue is, I would then turn it up, and then it would sound too big. And it didn't make sense to me. Why? But years later, it all made sense. And a part of the things, one of the things that really helped me get there and understand that difference in my ears, in my monitors, in my mixing habits, was reference mixes. Because I would listen to things on my monitors and I would say, well, you know, that sounds great. But then when I would level match the songs, when I would level match the, you know, reference mix and level match my mix, I would say, wow, my mix is really bassy. Huh. And, or, or, or the opposite. Wow, my mix is really bright. What, what am I doing? You know, uh, why, why does it sound that bad? And because it's one thing just to listen to a mix and say, oh man, their sounds better than mine. That's not really constructive. That doesn't really help you. You have to really start listening for, you know, how big is their kick drum? How big is their bass guitar? You know, wow, that bass guitar is not that big or man, it's really big or whatever. So, um, that's how reference mixes can help you is, is comparing yourself, comparing your work to theirs in a constructive way, not in a destructive way, not in a way where you're saying, well, I obviously suck at mixing because I can't get results that good. That's not, I mean, that's not what you should be doing. That doesn't help. Um, even though we're always our own worst critic, that doesn't help us. So you listen for it. Listen, say, how much compression is on this? Can you hear the compression? Is, you know, do things sound very natural? Are things EQ'd? How are things EQ'd? Is the bass big? Is the vocal big? Is the vocal bright? Is the bass, you know, um, very compressed? Is it at an even level? And listen to those things in your mixes and say, you know, wow, a vocal's kind of dark. Now, again, you don't want to stress out about these things because this is how reference mixes can hurt you. If you listen too close, if you listen too long, if you listen to reference mix through the entire mix process, you know, that's a really good way to make your mix sound just like that mix, um, but in almost a, you know, a negative way, because it's a different song, it's a different band, it's a different recording, it's a different day, it's a different monitoring setup, If it's a different engineer, it's different everything, and so... Unless you're playing a cover song that you want to sound exactly like the original, listening to reference mixes too far, too far into the process, too long, will actually hurt you. Um, I usually advise listening to a reference mix before you mix, listen to, su- listen to stuff that the band likes, listen to stuff that you like, and particularly try to find a balance. Like, let's say the band gave you five mixes, and they say, you know, we like all of these, and... 
what you should do is listen to them and be like, okay, which one of these do I think is the best mix that I like that sort of lends an ear to sort of my style of mixing or the, the way that I like things to sound? You know, their mix one and two uh, from their favorite band might not really, you know, push your buttons in a good way. It might be like, man, that, I just don't like the way that sounds. That's too compressed or that's whatever. But then maybe their mix, uh, the mix that they like out of the five, maybe three and four, you're like, you know what? Those are really good mixes and they like it. Focus on those then. You know, don't focus on the ones that you don't like. Don't just force yourself to mix something that you don't like. Um, your results will seriously suffer if you're forcing yourself to mix something you don't like. Try to find things about it. So, once you've got that, you know, listen to it at the beginning, listen to it in the early stages of the mix. As your mix is dry, as nothing is there, you know, start listening for the balance. Start listening for, okay, where do they got the vocal? Where do they have the drums? You know, and, and just start setting rough levels. It doesn't have to be anything specific, like, oh, it's a little bit louder than mine. It's not about that. You don't want it to sound identical. So, but just kind of listen for the basic balance. Okay, they got guitars on the left and right. Okay, that's, you know, that's part of the sound. Maybe the guitarist likes that, that the guitars are really wide. Um, the piano on the reference mix is mono, though. You know, maybe, maybe that means they like the mono piano. I don't know. Does it work in my mix? No, I guess maybe not. Maybe I need a stereo piano. Or, okay, their mix has a synth, but these people didn't record a synth. So... Why do they like the synth? Maybe they like the synth because it adds some sort of ambience or like sort of a an ethereal sort of quality to the mix. Maybe that means that you need to use some more creative reverbs or things like that to get that ambience when they don't have a pad. Um, or if you're recording the band, maybe you could say, you know what, maybe we need to record some pads. Um, again, there's so many things that you can pick out about reference mixes that can help you. So listen to it in the early stages. Listen to it when sort of discovering uh, what it is that makes the mix work, makes your mix work also. But there's a certain point when you got to say, okay, I got it. I got the basic sound. Now I'm going to turn off the reference mixes and not look at them. And then maybe like three quarters of the way down, you might check it again, just really quickly. Just listen to it for maybe a minute. And say, okay, am I still in the ballpark? Am I still on the right path? Because you want to make sure you didn't go too far down the wrong path. Um, that's bad. You don't want to, you know, start off great and then all of a sudden get back into your habits again that are, you know, kind of destroying what it is the original intention was. And, uh, you know, so, so if, if you need to check it a lot, then check it a lot. I definitely tr would say try not to check it too much too far into the mix. Um, I might check it towards the end of the mix and say, you know, it, it, how, how did it turn out? You know, does it compare? Does it stand up? Does it compete? And uh, hopefully the answer is yes. If it doesn't, I can, again, ask myself why. Ask myself what's the difference in my mix and that mix. Um, and as you get better, what you will find is that you will need the reference mixes less. You'll get to start to understand your monitors. You'll start to understand how does other stuff sound on my system? How does other stuff stack up? And how is it that I need to work on my system to make this happen? Because, you know, I, I strongly urge you to listen to music on your monitors or whatever you're mixing on. Listen to music that you like on them. 
I mean, not constantly, but as much as you can, because you want to literally train your ears and sort of program your ears into knowing this is what music sounds like on my monitors. Not on my iPod, not on my headphones. This is what music sounds like on my monitors. Because then when you'll pull up a mix, you'll immediately know if it compares. So the faster and better that you can know that, the better. The faster and more um, like accustomed you are to the sounds that are coming out of your monitors, the better sounds you'll get while tracking because you'll sit there and say, man, that kick drum, man, it doesn't sound anything like I'm used to hearing on records. What do I need to do to that? Or maybe it's just too bassy or, or not bassy enough. Or, you know, when you're tracking guitars or recording a vocalist, you can say, wow, I'm getting lots of proximity effect on that vocal. Maybe I need to have them back up or maybe I use, need to use a different mic or something like that because you're so used to hearing how music sounds from your speakers. And again, um, these mixes, I definitely advise um, you to... to Always listen to music that you love on on all systems, but also on your monitors. And you know, just sit while you're cleaning up the studio, or while you're you know uh, writing emails, or responding to phone calls, or responding to forum posts, or whatever. You know, turn on music and listen to it. Listen to it in your spare time. Get accustomed to the way that music sounds on your speakers. It's so so vitally important. I had sort of a weird trend for a while. Uh, once I started doing recording and mixing full-time, I found myself not really listening to a lot of other music. Um, I don't really know why. I, I found myself like only wanting to experience music on the best speakers I could. I became sort of a snob where I'd sit there and say, man, I don't really want to listen to that in my car. I can't really hear all the details. Um, but I sort of ended up growing out of that and saying, you know what, I, I want to hear what music sounds like on anything, on any system, and I want to enjoy the music. I don't want to get too caught up in always listening to a song and analyzing the mix, you know, because that happens. That happens so often. We're listening to a song and immediately we're saying like, mm, I don't like that snare drum. Mm, I don't really like that vocal reverb. And that's fine, and that's all good, you know, if you're sitting there analyzing the mix. But I do find it extremely helpful to continue to always be a music lover, continue to always listen to music from the standpoint of a listener. Because if you're always listening to music from the standpoint of a mixer, then you're bound to get biased. You're bound to get frustrated. You're bound to always compare your mixes to those mixes in a negative way. You want to always know what the listener is experiencing. Um, that's why I find it extremely important to have the direct little cousin of reference mixes, and that is reference monitors. So things like, you know, a boombox. I've got like a little Sony, like, you know, portable boombox with a handle and the CD player and the radio on it um, sitting over here to my left. And uh, it's awesome. It, it doesn't sound amazing, but... That's a type of system where most people might be listening to music on a stereo. Or um, I also have an iPod dock that I got at like Walmart or something. Um, that you know is one of those things you put in your in your home and you know you put your iPod on it and it plays music through the little speakers that are like two inch speakers. Um, I have that on my desk and uh, I mix through that sometimes. I, I at least check the mix on it because again, um, you could listen to something and. 
uh, and it sounds awesome on that. But then if you played, if you actually put your iPod on the iPod dock, and which I do, and then you play a reference mix through it, and then you play your mix through it, it's like, oh, mine doesn't sound as good. And, uh, you know, I, what I usually do on the iPod dock is the iPod dock, the key for me is that I have an, an aux in on it, so a little quarter-inch jack. And I actually hook that up to the monitor switcher, so when I'm switching between speakers, I can actually switch to that iPod dock. And if I want to listen to a reference mix on it, I'll either put it in the DAW or I'll run it through you know, iTunes or something, and I can actually switch it to that system with the monitor switcher and listen to it directly that way rather than actually putting the iPod on it and clicking through and then having to transfer your mix to the iPod. I want it to be in real time. Um, you know, I've got a lot of reference systems. I've also got a little pair of crappy, uh, what are these, like cyber acoustics, like computer speakers, and these things sound terrible. Even great mixes sound bad on these things. Um, these are like tiny little $10 computer speakers, but people might be listening on it. People are listening on laptop speakers. People are listening on earbuds. People are listening through the tiny little speakers on their iPhone. I mean, I know it's unfortunate, but that's the key into getting real mixes that translate is they have to translate to everything. It's not just like, oh, it sounds good on my studio monitors and it sounds good in the car. I guess I'm done. Because then you play it on a set of tiny speakers like a laptop, for example, and it sounds terrible. Well, there's an issue then. And you can analyze these sorts of things in your brain. Okay, If you say, all right, it sounds good on the studio monitors, sounds good in the car, but it sounds terrible on a laptop, reference mixes can help you there. Again, you can listen to um, something in your car and then flip over to your mix and say, well, man, that my mix sounds good in the car, but that one sounds really good in the car. Or listen on the laptop and you say, Man, on that mix, it sounds so bad, but this professional mix, I can hear everything. And and start to ask yourself those questions and, and don't get in the habit of just, you know, being like, well, it sounds good on the monitor, so I guess it's good. I know it's a little annoying to take it to the car. Uh, I know it's a little annoying, but that's why I also suggest, because um, a lot of car systems are getting really good now, like they just are. And so the car to me is almost not as much of a reference anymore because... I feel like if it'll sound good on a terrible system, it'll sound good on a car or on studio monitors um, or on a home theater or whatever. Um, so I like to use these little tiny systems that are cheap. I mean, I think this iPod dock was like $25. These little Walmart speakers were like 10 or 12 The Sony boombox I got for $5 at a garage sale. I mean, they're not things that, are, that have to be expensive. Um, the key is that if the average listener were to listen on those systems, they would hear it like that. They would. And you have to listen as a listener. The more you start listening from a mix standpoint, the more you start, again, getting caught up in kick drum land and saying, man, that kick sounds amazing, that doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter. Um, usually I will start checking on these other reference systems and I'll, I'll um, try to, you know, have the mix working pretty well. You know, I don't necessarily sit there and EQ 
uh, a kick drum on or a vocal on a set of crappy speakers. That's not necessarily what I'm doing. Um, what I'm likely doing is getting the mix sounding pretty good on my monitors, um, getting it to where I think it sounds pretty good, and then flip it over to the reference system and see what what it's sounding like over there. And then I say, okay, uh, it's a little bassy, or you know, it's not it's not full sounding, or you know, it's a little bright, or whatever. And I'll bring it back and say, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, now I can really hear it. Now that I'm really listening for those problems, I can really hear it and focus it. Um, and again, I might check. Uh, a reference mix that I've got in iTunes or something and say, okay, this mix sounds this way, my mix sounds this way, so I guess I need to adjust. So in summary, reference mixes are your friend. They will help train your ears. Um, You can listen to them on your monitors and you should listen to them on your monitors. Um, Have a list of mixes that you love, mixes that you think are amazing. Keep it on your iPod or your phone or on a flash drive or on an iTunes playlist or all the above. Keep it on a CD in your car. I mean, don't ever forget what you like because that sort of is helping you make your own sound also. Um, Then ask the band for references. If you haven't asked the band for references, you know, then you really should do some serious conversations with them and ask them, okay, what do you want to sound like? Do you like the way this sounds? Do you, I mean, because some bands have very specific ideas. Some bands are like, no, I do not want it to sound really compressed. I want it to sound super raw and real and natural. Um, likewise, uh, some bands might say, no, I like that huge, like, Chris Lord Algae, like, really aggressive sound, you know? And so you have to adapt. Um, also, Level match the songs. Level match them. Level match them. Level match them. As close as you can. Um, really try to level match them um, if you can. Because and, and, and also listen to them both quietly. Don't listen to both of them loud because they'll both sound fine. Um, because loud music is exciting. So turn them both down. Turn the reference mix low. Turn your mix low and compare them. Also, get some reference monitors. Um... I know that there's sort of a different thing between reference mixes and reference monitors, but they're related. Um, Listen to something on your boombox or listen to something on your iPod dock and then flip your mix through it and say, man, mine just sounds crappy (laughs) because that's probably what you'll be saying at first. Um, So then the last point is, you know, don't spend too much time on the references. Use them as a help. But don't let them dictate what you do because you want something to sound special. You want something to sound different and unique. And you don't want to get too biased because it's a different song, different production, etc. So if you have any questions about any of this, my email is recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, any questions about anything or ideas for future shows, ideas for um, reviews or interviews or anything like that, definitely send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the Facebook. That's facebook.com slash recordinglounge. And you can also check out the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com. I'm actually about to post something on there very soon. I know I haven't posted anything on there in a while, but uh, that should be up pretty soon. And uh, be on the lookout for uh, any updates that I give on the Facebook page about the book, 
If you are interested in freelance mixing and mastering, I can master or mix your music. So if you're working on your own stuff and you're not feeling uh, like it's doing it for you, or if you just want me to mix a song in order for you to hear sort of a different person's take on it, so maybe you can learn from it. You know, I'm very affordable. Uh, I want I want to work with different budgets and things like that. If you also just have questions about a mix, you know, you send me a mix and I say, you know, oh, this is what I might change. You know, I do that too. So um, go ahead and email me. Uh, ask me any questions about any of that stuff. We can talk and uh, stick around for the next show, and I'll talk to you guys soon.